everybody, welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and if you're brand new to the show, shows all about a little one-known card game called Magic the Gathering. On today's episode, we brought you your commander mechanic, Chris, aka the commander mechanic, uh, came on and we discussed tuning up decks, uh, a hell of a lot of commander talks and D&D and everything else in between. Um, I will say like the first 10 to 15 minutes is about the housing market and what it's like to own a house. So I apologize for that. But hey, if you're interested, hey, cool. And then we just get into a shit ton of magic talk, which was awesome. So before we begin, I've got some announcements to make. Ooh. If you want to help support the show, you can help support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby. Uh, you can also find this show on YouTube, uh, should you be listening to it, if you want to watch moi. Yeah. Um, you can also find this on your favorite podcast app out there, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff out there. Like Literally almost probably every podcast app now because it, it's... um. You know, it's just out there. And if you're watching the video, you can see my kitty, my kitty cat Prim Pram, who won't leave me alone. And we are also sponsored by Cardsphere.com, the best place to buy, trade, and sell your magic singles and sealed product. And we also have a new sponsor. We have Alter Sleeves is a sponsor of ours as well, too. You can use coupon code MAGICWITHZUBI to help support the show and 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 i am also in the works of getting our own magic with zuby altar sleeves it's probably going to take another month or two for that to happen but it is in the works i'm working on a design i've got the artists in mind to um that i want that i want to make them and all that stuff so in the next month hopefully you know before the end of the year because i can't believe it's We've only got a couple months left of the year. We've got August, September, October, November, December. We've got five months left already. So hopefully before the end of the year, I'm going to get some of Magic Wazubi Ultra Sleeves and I'm going to get those out to you. Um, maybe I'm going to have some try to do some giveaways on Ultra Sleeves as well too before then. I'm also, 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 also in the works of getting some Patreon exclusive tokens of Magic Wazubi. So... If you want some of those Patreon-exclusive tokens, sign up for my Patreon. Um, I don't know what tier yet. Um, I'm, I, I've got the... I, I just saw the um, the rough sketch of what the token is going to look like, and I'm super excited about it. I'll give you a hint. It's one of my favorite commanders. <laughs> um, so that's going to be coming soon within the next month, I'm hoping. And when I get those tokens, they are going to go some patreon stuff so if you want some exclusive tokens sign up for my patreon and boom there you go um and then that is it for brand new announcements i think yeah i think yeah i think that's about it so without further ado let's welcome your commander mechanic chris Zuby here, and I am with your commander mechanic, Chris. 
Welcome to the hey, show. <laughs> hey, folks. <laughs> You're doing my intro for me. I love yes. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, are are you actually like a mechanic? Like, do you mess with cars or anything like that? Or you know, that was the number one question I received when I started up the channel. Yeah, uh, I did like a 2,500 subscriber Q and A, and the most received question I had is are you an actual mechanic? And the answer is, is no, I'm not an actual mechanic. I am strictly a commander mechanic. The only thing that okay. I'm putting up on blocks is your commander deck, not your car. Okay, well, no, I, I figured you may have been more like a, um, uh, what do you call it, like a like a passion or something. Like, not that was your job, but, like, my, I've got a friend who's a gearhead, and he's... um. He's in IT like I am, and but he he's one of those guys. He knows every single thing about cars you can imagine. Yeah, no, and I'm sure much like he can take apart an engine or a vehicle from a bumper to fender. Oh, yeah. uh, I can do that with a magic deck. <laughs> as far as my mechanical skills go. <laughs> okay, well, interesting. Well, um, I wanted to bring you on. Um, it's actually been a long time coming. You've been on my radar. Um, just with everything i mean we were just talking about friggin flood that happened earlier this year and then if you follow me on twitter you know that i had another one this this week and um got thank god we opted for everything waterproof because holy shit because if it was not waterproof i'm like i do that, that we we were originally gonna uh record that day but i had to cancel um only because like dude i was freaking the fuck out like like, holy shit, I don't want to go through this again. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, with what you went through earlier this year, I, I don't blame you at all. I'm just yeah. glad everybody's safe. Oh, yeah. No, no, I am too. It was just... Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, That's all I'm going to say. It's just... Yeah, it is what it is. So we're going to have to end up getting our drain field replaced, which is going to cost a lot of money, but at least we're not having to like be uprooted out of our house. Like, We'll figure out a way to get that done get it paid for and all that shit but the thing that sucks about it is it's going to take at least one to two months for them to even replace it because of county permits no kidding because wow. they have to come out and test our soil for whoever whatever the fuck and then they'll take you know their sweet ass time to pr approve the permit and because the actual work only takes a day to get done Right, but right. it's wow. all just a bunch of bureaucratic red tape. They just gotta sucks, but find out whose palms you gotta grease to move it along, right? <laughs> oh, dude, this it's fucking county. <laughs> oh wow, I I know, uh, like I I personally uh, just bought a house in probably one of the worst times in the past like decade to buy a house, and that has been an ordeal in itself as well. I don't know if you're familiar with what the housing market looks like, but uh, I mean, I've I've seen it all around. Like, oh yeah, like it'd be a great time to sell my house. It'd be worth way more, but then I'd have nothing to buy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's the conundrum that a lot of people are in. Like uh, right now, everybody's uh, like it's a seller's market, so everybody's cashing out yeah. and then renting temporarily, and then everybody's oh, waiting for like the housing market to burst at this point and. Uh, I couldn't wait on that. I've been renting for the past six months as it is. So, oh, dude. Uh, I'm fortunate to get my own place. I get the keys in a couple of weeks. Is this your first house you've ever bought? Uh, this is my, my second house that I've ever okay. owned. First one on my own. Okay. Okay, nice. Yeah. Nice. It's yeah, um, yeah. You, you were talking about renting. Um, 
apartment, like you were saying something about the balcony. The, the one thing I do miss about renting is the um, when something breaks, I can just call someone be like, yeah, yo, yeah. take care of it. it but dude, I, I will say being a homeowner, thank God for YouTube. Cause right, right. holy <laughs> shit, there's been so many times like something happens and I'm like, fuck, if I call someone, this is going to cost like so much money. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, i i replaced uh three of the toilets in my house thanks to youtube uh like oh, a, every time i've got to touch something like plumbing uh i'm straight to youtube and i'm like how do I oh stop yeah this drip? oh yeah how do i stop this hissing noise uh but when it comes to something like electrical i'm like all right let, let me dial up a professional on this one uh yeah i, I can't I, wait to get into my house because i'm going to be doing a lot of renos on this place it's a little bit of a fixer upper it's a little nice. bit of an older place uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to making it mine. Uh, it is yeah. a, a condo as well, so I don't have to worry about anything outside. Either. Oh, you don't have a lawn. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, la it's... lawn maintenance is all taken care of. All of the exterior maintenance, the roof, all taken care of. Oh, damn. That's been a big relief to me. Damn, because, um, I mean, I've got a decent-sized yard, but I've gotten to a point where I have to pay someone to mow it now because it's, right. it, it's just too much. Like, it's gotten way too hot. And it's just gotten too much for me to handle because it's yeah. if it was just mowing itself, it, I'd be fine. But there's, you know, the trimming, there's the, mm -hmm. the all the bushes got to trim because if you don't go, goes crazy, they start turning into trees. And I'm all like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm not like some old man, but it's just Florida's just way too hot. <laughs> right, right. I mean, Florida and I mean, I, I sympathize with the uh, the Pacific Northwest this year as well oh my gosh yeah. they've been going through uh i i couldn't imagine having to do something like lawn maintenance in the middle of the heat wave. oh man yeah like it really took me by surprise that and this is just my ignorance here where a lot of people in the pacific northwest they don't have ac a lot of times right. and that yeah, that's crazy to UK, me hey i yeah I, I learned from uh from some of our friends across the pond that they don't have AC over there. That's either. insane to me. Right, exactly. And I mean, I am sure, like you, you from from the south. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and even me, like I'm in Toronto. Uh, we would never be able to get away with not having air conditioning. Oh yeah, like you would uh, die. Right, right. Like the 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 northeast here, uh, we get as high temperatures as we get low. Uh, so we need to be prepared for each of it. Uh, yeah, you, you don't need to worry about snow removal down there, but that's not a yet concern up here in Canada too. <laughs> hey, it snowed here like maybe ten years ago. Yeah, for like yeah. um a minute <laughs> before yeah. it turned to rain. <laughs> but then uh, with all this climate change, I mean, who the fuck knows? <laughs> right. I mean, Texas got hit by a huge snowstorm earlier this year. Oh. Right. Who knows when it's Florida's turn? I know, right? Oh, man. Uh, Efren of Cardsphere, um, mm -hmm. he got hit hard because he lives in Texas. And he was saying, like, they didn't have power for over a week because yeah. of that thing. And and you think, like, oh, it's cold. You know, it's not too bad. I'm like, oh, no. Like, you're without any kind of heat. You just have to yeah. bundle up. And he was saying it was, like, absolute misery because you can't cook anything. You know, you're, yeah. you're just stuck. Can't have any hot food. And... Exactly. God. Just like the Pacific Northeast doesn't or Northwest doesn't have uh, air conditioners, the yeah. South doesn't have furnaces, right? So it's the, freaking... the stuff that people are going through is just ridiculous. You gotta you gotta sympathize with the people that oh, have yeah. to go through these kind of things. 
Oh, I can't imagine. It's friggin' because it, that brings up a, another thing. Like my wife and I have been talking about where we, um, you know, after the whole house flood, we were talking about, you know, obviously not one to stay in this house forever, but actually moving. And if we moved, we just have no idea where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like as much as I can't stand Florida a lot of time, it's cheap as hell to live here. Um, there's no state taxes. The it property tax is low, and um, yeah. but I mean, shit, we got to deal with hurricanes. We just had a hurricane last week, and um, which it you get used to them though. Um, <laughs> and but it's like, and I know everywhere you go, it's gonna have its own issues, right? I just also don't want to deal with snow. I don't like snow. I like visiting snow. I don't yeah. like being like. I wouldn't want to live in it though. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, while I was doing house hunting, I had a few friends from the U.S. Uh, Midwest mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, uh, your your housing prices—they're uh, pretty ridiculous. Why don't you check out what you can get here for that same price?" Uh, and I'm like, "Wow! If I lived in the U.S., I would happily move to the middle of nowhere, right? To to get a fantastic place out there. Sure, you might need to worry about like the occasional tornado." Or something, but uh, still, the you, you can't beat the housing prices when you live in the middle of nowhere. Oh my gosh! Like, like I bought my house for like a hundred and fifty thousand, and 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 I don't live in a mansion or anything like that. It's it's a normal three bedroom, two bath, and all that. And um, it's it, it's funny because if you look at the prices over by Tampa, um, which is just south of me, hundred fifty thousand, like buy this like little crack shack. Right. Yeah. And then you, right. you try to buy the same thing over in California, you know, like my house would probably go for like over a million dollars over in California. Like this is not worth a million dollars. Trust me. <laughs> right. And that's what we're looking at inflation wise up here in Ontario as well. Uh, Ontario has very quickly become one of the most expensive places. That's crazy. Property. It used to be my... isolated to just like the city center and the core around Toronto. What the but hell? Over the past two or three years, those housing prices have just crept all along the Great Lakes, uh, and it's it's nigh impossible to get anything anywhere at a reasonable price. I was lucky that I snuck in on yeah. the place and and got it at a decent price, but still, uh, to see how much farther my money could have gone if I packed up and moved a province or two over, it's pretty ridiculous. See, and that's crazy to me. It's like, you know, we're millennials, right? And, you know, we just need to stop. Geriatric millennial. I'm a geriatric millennial, too. So um, it's, you know, we just need to work harder to get a house and um, stop buying the avocado toast. You know, (laughs) pull up our our bootstraps. And, you know, I think about, I I promise we'll get to magic, folks. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I just think about because my, my, my oldest daughter is going to be turning 18 next month and at that age I was already thinking about moving out and all that stuff like getting away and it's like yeah. I talked to her like you know what do you want to do and all that stuff and, and, and we've already told her like you're never going to be you know we're never going to charge you rent or anything like that and you can stay here as long as you want um, as long as you're working towards something and not just mm-hmm. doing nothing um, Yeah, but it, it, it's she's been looking at apartments with her friends because, you know, at that age, they all want to move in together and all that. And, like, some of these apartments are, like, almost 2000 a month. Like, yeah, my mortgage is nowhere near that. How how the fuck do you can't afford that shit? 
Exactly, exactly. It, it is mind-boggling. The, the, I, I think the first place that I rented when I was 18, 19, uh, I was paying sub $500. For right, rent. yeah. Uh, and, and now, to rent a one-bedroom apartment, it's easily close to $2,000 around insanity. a city insanity, like yeah. That's... Like, how, how do you expect a student straight out of high school to be able to do that? It is it is insane. Like it, not it unless you have like ten people in there, you know. Right, right. Or you have mom and dad helping you out. Yeah, right? that too. You see all of these uh, these uh, articles from like the Onion, where it's like uh, millennial uh, is able to afford a house thanks to down payment from mom and dad, right? <laughs> like, uh, the, those kind of uh, yeah. those kind of things. Uh, or the the completely serious ones that are like. Hey, I was able to afford this house just by saving up, uh, and also I got a loan from my parents, right? Or like they yeah. co-signed the mortgage with me. That's the only way people are getting a house these days. And it's if you're in in our very generous age group here, the only way that you're going to own property is if it's if it's inherited at this point. Like that's oh yeah. That's it, 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 I feel lucky that we bought our house back in 2014, 2015, something like that. And the only way we were able to afford it was due to our county as a first home buyers program, um, first time home buyers program. They'll essentially pay the down payment for you, and you, um, you have to take like some class to like know what it is to be a homeowner or whatever. It's like a two hour class and you only have to pay it back. If you sell the house before the mortgage is up, you know, before the 30 year mortgage or if you pass. So it means just like your yeah. next of kin has to pay it, right, which is, which right. is kind of yeah. fucked up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we, we talked about inheriting property. That's inheriting property the wrong way. That's right. Debt, right? <laughs> <laughs> the last thing that you need is like, oh, you know, my my parents passed away. Uh, and instead of like an inheritance, I inherited what's left on their mortgage. Right. Like, oh, that's, God. Uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. But um, but I mean, that was the only way we were able to even buy this house. And it's like like we had money saved down, but shit it was and, and like i don't even know if a lot of counties have those programs or like other countries have those programs you know it's yeah, i have the, no the idea we have up here in canada is a tax credit uh, oh, okay so for a first time home owner it goes towards your taxes at the end of the year, like oh, okay towards it so so you don't have to pay as much at the end of the year at tax season you might get a little bit back in your pocket but yeah. nothing as generous as uh, assuming your mortgage yeah, well, well, not not the mortgage, just the down payment. Uh, the down payments. Yeah. yeah, but so down payments are pretty up there. It was like eight to ten thousand, something like that, which we didn't have to pay. So, I mean, that's that's not bad. Uh, I I wish the down payment on my new place was eight <laughs> to ten thousand because who uh, it's definitely not. I I'm lucky oh, that God. I sold another piece of property in order to be able to afford this one. Oh god, yeah, that's right. Because with prices going up, it must be insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even yeah, want to imagine. It is, uh, it is ridiculous. When cameras aren't rolling, I'll tell you. How much All right. That was. <laughs> god, god. All right. So let's get into some magic here. All right. Um, hall break, hall, hall breaker, hall breacher who did break stuff. Yes. 
Um, so as of this recording, this is coming out. I mean, normally I release every Friday, but um, we're recording on July 15th, which is a Thursday. So it's not coming out on the 16th. It'll come out on the 23rd. So it'll by then it'll be over a week since Hall Breacher has been banned. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was a good move for them to ban it? Uh, so I, I think that that's a, an interesting question because just two weeks ago I released a video about uh, cards and user intent and how cards can be either tools or weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, I, I think I remember like, watching that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you want to see it, it's also uh, on my YouTube channel or linked on the uh, official rules committee site as well. They added to their cultivated content section. Oh, cool. uh, but uh, I, I talked about how a card like Hull Breacher, in particular using the example of Hull Breacher, can be used as a stacks tool almost mm-hmm. to dissuade opponents from drawing an additional card. And in those cases, it's relatively harmless. But when you combine it with a wheel, and end up locking your opponents out of the game, that's not the card's fault, that's the user's fault. That's the intention to turn a game into a non-game. Yeah. And if that's uh, if that's understood as what you want out of a game, 100% fine. But if you sit down at a table with randoms and you like turn yeah. three, whole breacher wheel of them, nobody's having a good time except you. And that, that turns into a shitty situation. Uh, and I think that the rules committee saw that uh, Hull Breacher is being used as a weapon more often than it's being used as a tool. And I definitely get that impression because after I released that video, I had so many comments on it saying, Magic is a game where you are supposed to win. Why wouldn't you use Hull Breacher in combination with a wheel? Yep. Why not? Everybody was saying that is the way that Hull Breacher is supposed to be used. And seeing that much information, which uh, information is a rarity about the format of Commander and the way that people use it and interact with it, but seeing that much information, just a small sample size of people saying, I don't understand, it's a fine card, I I completely understand why the Rules Committee is justified in saying this is a toxic card because it encourages toxic behavior. Uh, And the, the, the Rules Committee is about adding cards to the banned list that create bad experiences. And while Hull Breacher doesn't always create bad experiences, if it is being used more often than not to create a poor play experience and a poor impression on somebody who may be new to the format, then I understand why they would say, we don't want to open up the opportunity for this card to be used as a weapon, as opposed to a No, to- totally get that. And that was... um part of one of the tweets I had when the ban announcement was announced because just on the surface like and I mentioned this in my tweet that I've never played with the card I've never really played been played against it except maybe once but it wasn't like used I think it was used more as a tool than an actual weapon um it was just made to use to stop everybody from drawing five million cards um and and to me, it's a very annoying card, yes. But to me, just at that time, it didn't seem that bad until when everybody started telling me, well, it can be used for this XYZ, you know, wheels and all this other stuff. And I totally got it. Um, and that's why I also mentioned a thing. You've still got Notion Thief and Narset Parter Veils. 
which yeah, you still have options to be able to do that. And you've got things like Alms Collector and White as well yep. that gives you a pseudo ability in that too. Uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, you you and I are in a rare situation as content creators where we can sit down with people and have that conversation of what are we hoping for out of this mm -hmm. game? What are we looking to do? What kind of environment do we want to foster? And I have Hull Breacher in exactly one deck with specifically no wheels in it. And I have to sit down before every game and say, just a word of caution, I have Hull Breacher in this deck and no wheels. And when you have to sit down and have that disclaimer, every time you play a deck with one card in it, you know that yeah. that card is a problem card. You know that that's an issue. And I've played Hull Breacher in CEDH before, but the assumption in CEDH is that if you're going to get Breacher wheeled, that's fine. Like, that's that's an assumed game state. That's a an acceptable use of the card. If you sit down with a casual deck and a casual pod for entertainment and somebody whole Breacher wheels you, suddenly it's not entertaining anymore. And yep. like I said, with, with the comments and the feedback, I had people saying, well, if, if I whole Breacher wheel someone and they keep playing, that's their fault, not mine. And I'm like, all right. All right, That's the worst entirely. kind of attitude. It's... I, I, I understand entirely why the RC would step in here and say, uh, no, this is, this is fostering that kind of behavior. We don't. Yeah, and, and you made a good point. There's competitive EDH, you know, and, and, and that's something that I heard uh, someone, I, I was talking to them, they stopped playing EDH, because, and they brought up a good point as to why they stopped playing, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see where they're coming from. They stopped playing it because they got tired of wanting to build all these competitive decks in, in EDH, but so many people hated it, and he, they were tired of trying to make everyone else feel better because to him, magic is the one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going yeah. gonna to beat you by any means necessary. And... So they went back to just playing Strictly Modern and Legacy, and I totally get that because mm -hmm. that's what they enjoy. They want to win, and I feel like those formats are perfect for those kind of people, even CEDH, where they build decks specifically to win, and I'm at a point in my Magic career where I don't give a shit about winning anymore. I just want to have fun doing stupid shit. I want to do something cool. That, that's that <laughs> yeah. is one hundred percent my mo right now. Is like let me show off this weird, obscure interaction where I'm able to make a hundred thousand copies of something. Like yeah. that, that's all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, like like I have um I've got a few higher powered decks, obviously. Um, but pretty much almost every deck I build nowadays is gonna be something dumb. That if it wins, how the fuck did I win? <laughs> type yeah, thing. Right. Yeah, got super I, I lucky. The seven card Rube Goldberg machine, and I managed to <laughs> come out on top, right? Like that. Yeah. That, that's completely what scratches my itch there. But I, I understand the uh, the the catalyst for some, where sitting down and understanding <clears throat> that winning is not the not necessarily the end goal for mm -hmm. everybody is something that a lot of players that come from other formats need to wrap their head around. For oh, yeah. people that come from kitchen table or people whose only format is Commander, they know and they'll sit down and they'll have a rule zero conversation with you because they'll tell you, hey, this is my pony deck or like this is my all bears deck. That's fantastic. You know that you aren't going to get like breacher locked out yeah. of that. You know that somebody's not dropping a humility 
in a game like that. Uh, it, but it's the people that come from other formats, and I'm, I'm not trying to vilify them at all, but they're oh, the people no. that are used to sitting down across from somebody and just knowing what the goal is, and it is to win. Uh, and there's there's a format if you want to do that, and it's the, the higher power spectrum of Commander, where you can sit down with somebody and you don't have to have the rule zero talk with them because everybody is on the same page about it. And that's one of the things that I love about high power Commander, about CEDH, is that everybody is on the same page. When you sit down, you're like, hey, are we going for a high power game? Yes. Okay, great. And that's all you have to do. Right. So for the people that are hesitant or afraid to have a rule zero conversation and talk about what game expectations are, that end of the power spectrum may be their bag. That's what works for them. Because again, those assumptions are there. You're sitting down, you're just going to try and win. Everyone's playing Thassa's Oracle. That's all they play. Right, nah, right. I'm you know, joking. You're, you're, you're playing Consultation Oracle in every deck. Yeah. Or, you know, you're, you're playing Breacher Wheels or whatever it might be. You know, you're playing the fast mana. You're playing to have a game that ends on turn three or four. Not yeah. one that goes for three and a half hours, which is entirely natural in the format as well. Right? Uh, but, but that's what these pregame conversations are about. Uh, oh, yeah. Sitting down and saying, are we having a game for fun? Are, are we making entertainment right now? Is everybody here to shoot the shit and have a good time? Or are we here to like jam 10 games in a night? Yeah. Like, is the expectation we're doing two or is the expectation we're doing 10? I've got a personal play group where we do high powered games uh, and, and we sit down and the expectation is, yeah, we're probably going to play like six or seven games in the span of three to four hours where I'll sit down with content creators and it's assumed that in three hours we're going to play maybe two games. Uh, and both of those are fine, but you need to know what you're up against and oh, yeah. you need to gauge accordingly. Uh, so many people say, uh, I don't care what other people want. I want to do X, Y, Z. And they sit down at the table and that's where you get pub stomps, right? That's where oh, you get yeah. somebody who sits down and they're like, hey, I'm going to go with like my full tier zero Najila high power EDH deck. Gross. And I'm going to win on turn three because I've got 10 one and a half card combos yeah. in this deck. Uh, and that that's fine as long as everybody else is on the same page. But when you sit down and you show Najila as your commander and everybody groans and you say, hey, it isn't that kind of Najila deck. And then you yeah. go like Najila sort of Feast and Famine and you win everybody's like all right whatever enjoy your stomp we're gonna sub in somebody else for game two right? yeah yeah and at that point nobody's having fun three people just sat through a shitty game and one person has now been ostracized because they decided to stomp rather than have a conversation yeah that's um I i've got a commander like that that every time i play her she gets groans and it's an r set um mm -hmm. and I, I, I've yeah, seen some degenerate Masters. shit with uh, Narset, um, but I Nar built Narset was my first CEDH deck, so I entirely oh, oh, know yeah. the, oh, the yeah. feeling. <laughs> so and, and it, it's, but I, I'm just like you, where I have to explain, like, no, 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 it's not that kind of Narset deck. It, it's literally monk tribal. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like I've won with it. I've had a lot of fun with it and all that, but it's, it's like. <laughs> It's so slow, but it's. Yeah. I, I built it to be a Narset tribal slash monk tribal. It's. I tried to get every single card that has Narset art on it, because she's one of my favorites. 
Right, but but it's funny that you sit down across from people and they have these predisposition to oh, yeah. certain commanders, right? Oh yeah, I, I think everybody does. Like I see a tracks and I'm like, oh god. Right, right. I'm like, oh, how long till I get ten boys encounters? Uh, right, or, or is right. this going to be planeswalker tribal? Like, exactly, exactly. A super friends deck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I've had games where I sat down across from players playing Tim Nathrasios, like a classic high power yeah. combo. But then they're playing like an arcane spell tribal deck, and oh, that's cool. You know, they sit down and they say, "Hey, this isn't the kind of Nigila Thra or uh, Timna Thrasios deck yeah. that you're expecting here." Okay, well, show it to me. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt once. And they're like, "Trust me, trust me." Okay, I'll trust you once, but <laughs> if you break that trust, I'm not gonna play with you again. I'm not gonna yeah. give you another mile to take here. Yeah, that's like my uh, Grand Arbiter deck. Where I, I, I purposely <laughs> oh it, it is a monster it's I purposely built that deck out of spite uh, when when I first built it it was um <laughs> like like back in the pre-pandemic days uh, when I used to actually go to LGSs and play with random people um th like the LGS I went to just had so many high powered decks and so many infinite combo bullshit and all that stuff I'm like you know what just out of spite I'm gonna build Grand Arbiter Control and Approach of the Second Sun is the only win con I'm not gonna allow anyone to play Magic cause fuck you you all wanna like try to win by turn two <laughs> turn three so so I have a thing on my Twitch page uh you can spend 10,000 channel points to have me play Grand Arbiter and I'm just like <laughs> you wanna fucking uh you want to torture me, you make me play this deck, and it's god-awful torture. So right. when I did my 14-hour um, stream a couple weeks ago to celebrate my five years of the podcast, uh, someone mm -hmm. redeemed the Grand Arbiter, and I'm just like, fuck no, please no, dear God. <laughs> I, I, I won the game, but it was so fucking miserable. Like, yeah. pretty, and I had to tell the pod, like, are you all okay with me playing Grand Arbiter? Because it's going to be god-awful. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, nobody is going to enjoy this. I promise you. I it, mo most of all me, I'm not gonna enjoy this because I just I literally just stopped everyone from doing everything. I'm like, nope, can't do it. And I didn't put in it like a knowledge pool lock or anything like that. I was just like, right. counter, counter, get all my counters back. All right, counter, counter. counter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you you rule a law or your arcane library yeah. or a laboratory where people are only casting one spell a turn, and you get yep. full of counter spells, and it's just like, well. You know, there's there's my attempt at one a turn, and then they just ship it to the next person. And you do that for two hours. Oh god, it was right. so painful. And then, <laughs> but yeah, it, that that's like probably my one deck I have that is I still keep it around because I do love blue white control. Like when when I played modern, that was one of my favorite decks. Um, mm -hmm. But I mainly. I don't know. I, I just keep it around just to taunt people. Like, don't let me fucking bring out Grand Arbiter and all that shit. And then they realize, like, oh, God, this has been a mistake for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Death and Taxes in Modern. Yeah. Uh, but, it, like, it'll be a cold day when you catch me playing, like, a Taxes deck in Commander. Because the, the last thing that I want to do is to have other people not have a good time in Commander. Uh, and that, that's actually a lesson that I didn't learn right away. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't until I got into content creation and started playing with a wider audience that I realized that things like monopolizing people's time, taking really long turns, oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. uh, or doing things like preventing other people from playing or singling one player out or eliminating one player before the other players, create bad experiences for people 
And uh, after you do it once or twice, you realize like that empathy kicks in or is supposed to kick in mm-hmm. for people where it's like, you know, I might have knocked this person out on turn three or four, and then we played for another hour. And that person yep. sat there and twiddled their thumbs. Um, uh, early on, uh, I played a game with Chase, Mana Curves, mm-hmm. and Jason Ald, uh, and I knocked Jason out on like turn three, and then the game went on for another close to 90 Oh, minutes. I've been in those, yeah. And, and I felt so bad. I swore to myself, like, as cool as it is to make a combo where you can like zero, or like 40 to zero somebody in one shot, if it's one player at a time, I'm gonna leave that at home, I'm gonna leave that for like an off-camera game, or, mm-hmm. you know, in an instance where the other players are going to be like, okay, well, let's scoop, let's move on to the next one. Because the last thing that you want is somebody sitting there doing nothing for the entire game. And I, oh, I, I still feel super bad about it. I've apologized to Jason over and over about it. But you, you get into those situations and uh, you realize that some people have that reaction to it. Where it's like, this is something that I clearly should not have done. I should not have made other people's game, which they're doing for fun. I should not have made their experience worse. I should be seeking to better their experience. Uh, But some people say, if I'm making somebody else's experience worse, I'm making mine better, and that's all that matters. And I think that that's against the spirit of the format. And I think with the Hull Breacher brand, the RC clearly agrees with that. No, totally agree. The, The other thing that I learned, especially last year, like you said, playing with a wide array of people, um, you know, pandemic comes around, we don't have anything to do. Started playing on Discord video with people before Spell Table. And mm-hmm. the one thing that really like opened up my eyes, right? Because what I considered low power, you know, was some people's like up here, like super high power, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, at the time, I only had like maybe five to 10 decks um, when we all started playing on my Discord. And I would tell them, like, oh, yeah, this is my lowest power deck. And then just stomp everybody, like, oh, shit. Um, yeah. Like, and then I would try to build another deck that I thought was low-powered and still beat everybody. And that's when you have to sort of take a step back and realize, okay, what am I doing here? You know, is, you know, I'm trying to deconstruct or or devolve my power or depower my power or mm-hmm. my decks or whatever um and it, it was a big eye opener and um it was it, it was good because now it's you know i have all these decks now that are you know from low power to high power and in between um and it does open up your eyes to what a lot what people consider high power low power and all mm-hmm. that stuff too cuz everybody has a different definition of it Absolutely, and everybody has a, a different definition of what that power spectrum is, which is why I've stopped asking people what's the power level of your deck. Yeah, and I started asking people, what does your deck do? What is it trying to do? How does it win? And when you get an understanding of that, and somebody says, "Well, my deck wins through combat damage," okay, is there another way that it wins? No. Okay, I know at what power spectrum I need to play at. Because this is going to be like a turn things sideways kind of game. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, well, you know, I've got a couple of two-card combos in here. I'm running fast as Oracle, but it's not with something like Demonic Consultation. It's like a draw my library win con. Okay, I understand where we're sitting at on that spectrum. And then when somebody says, like, yeah, I'm running like Godo Helm, 
uh, all right, I understand what we're going for power-wise. And I don't know whether that's just because I have such encyclopedic knowledge of the format and of what cards are and what Mm -hmm. the cards do, but I find that when you sit down with somebody and you say, what is your deck trying to do and how does it win? That is so much more healthy than asking, what's your power level? Because power level is subjective, but what your deck's trying to do and how it wins is objective. And I am all about adding objectivity to a format like Commander. Uh, that's in my entire deck building philosophy. Is so let's look at things objectively. So how long have you been playing Commander now? Uh, I've been playing Commander uh, since just after the first precon, so about 10 years. So that was what the 2011 precons, yes. the Mimeoplasm and Kali and all that. Yeah, uh, exactly. And uh, uh, Animar. Uh, yeah, yeah, those. Yeah, yeah um, the, the three color ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my question to you is then, for someone who's new, who maybe's only been playing a year or two, and you know, still ha- has you know no idea of like every magic card that's out there and all that stuff, how would you even have people understand? that level right because you and i we've been playing magic for a long time you know you tell me you know turn things sideways you're going to combo off and all that stuff i've got ways to okay my this deck will be able to fare well against that deck you know type thing yeah but then how do you how do you tell new people to understand that as well because that that's the thing with power levels was at least on the surface it seems easy like okay this precon is a power level four right you know but but who who put that power level four on it did, did the rules committee stamp it and say this is a four? Did wizards come and say this is a power level four? No, that's assumed as well. You sit down and you say, well, based on my play experience and how many games that I've won, and suddenly you're um, you're introducing the subjective to it because it's how many I've won. Mm-hmm. It's what's my experience with it. And that doesn't translate because somebody else might be sitting down against that same precon with something else and have had their asses kicked by it. And when you say, well, this is a power level four precon and they have like an 0 and 10 track record against that precon, do they view it as a power level four? No, they're probably viewing it as a power level eight because again, subjectivity. Mm -hmm. But when you get into it and you say, well, you know, my deck attacks with creatures, it's gonna win by turns like seven or eight if I'm lucky. Then you think to yourself, well, in my experience with my decks, do I have anything that wins via combat damage and around that same time frame, turn seven or eight? Yeah, I probably have a deck that can fit into that. Sure. So suddenly you're taking like the the subjectivity away from it as in like you're judging somebody else's deck and you start judging your own decks by that. And you're not assigning an arbitrary number to it, Mm -hmm. like a, a power level. You're saying, what does my deck do and how? Uh, you know, uh, I've, I'm staring at my uh, my Academy Manufacturer deck. My Academy Manufacturer deck looks to make as many Academy Manufacturers as possible, make as many treasures, clues, and food as mm-hmm. possible. It's super consistent because I have a bunch <clears throat> of tutors in it because it's essentially a hidden commander deck. So I say, like, this is a turn five or six deck that it can win by. It's going to kill the entire table at once and it's going to be it's going to do it by making a million tokens like literally a million tokens mm-hmm. uh, so somebody says okay well I know that it's a combo deck uh, I know that it'll win by turn 4 or 5 I probably have something that falls in that spectrum it might win by like turn 6 or 7 
it's a bit of a combo deck as well. You know, it wins by making an infinitely large creature or several infinitely large creatures and attacking with them. I can swing in that club. Okay. And again, you're you're taking out the subjectivity and introducing the objectivity. Makes sense. And some people might lack that self-awareness. I want to put that in there as well. Some people might lack that familiarity with their own decks. And every once in a while, it's okay to have a mismatch like that and say, wow, my deck went off a lot faster than I thought it was going to. That's I've done fine. that before. <laughs> I, I think I think we've I, all done that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Where we sat down and we said, like, "Hey, I'm I'm really sorry that I'm winning right now." You know, you have that experience, but then you you're able to gauge better for the next games. Maybe oh, yeah. this deck isn't appropriate to play with these same decks again, right? Oh yeah. And as long as you have that kind of empathy and you've got that kind of self awareness, fantastic. It's the the people that willfully don't. That create poor. Points. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That 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 always pisses me off. It's um, good story that a lot of my listeners know and even viewers on my stream. Um, the first time I, 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 I used to have a Boros Allies deck that had um, Munda as the commander. So when Winota came out and Ikori, I'm like, okay, let me try Winota. You know, because um, I I love Allies as a tribe because they they're so synergistic and all that stuff. And oh, yeah. and Munda. The, the deck never really won or anything. Like, I would only win if someone just ignored me or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I remember the first time I took out Winota uh, on stream, and I'm like, like I've never I've never played it with Winota. I don't know how well it's going to do. Holy fuck. It, 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 it was way too good. <laughs> like, right, right. holy shit. It was, um... Yeah, that, that's all I can say is just, like... Yeah, and, and and that's like a good example of it. Like, I personally thought like it's gonna be good, it's gonna be decent, but holy shit, it kind of went on a whole nother level of being good. Like, it just won super fast, and I'm like, I, I felt bad for the table. Like by by turn six or seven, I'm like, I have 150 life right now, and I've killed two of you. And even if you yeah. board wipe me, I'm gonna be able to build up my. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And and sometimes a deck just goes off like that. And often it's the ones that you're playing for like the first time or the oh, yeah. you haven't played in a while. And you realize like in this circumstance, it's a perfect storm for this deck for it to go off. And sometimes you're just going to go off a lot sooner and a lot faster and a lot better because you hit the nuts in your opener. Right. Oh, yeah. And maybe you're you got that soul ring in your opener and you went land soul ring talisman and suddenly you're four turns ahead of the rest of the table. Right. Uh, it, it's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I want uh, one of my favorite examples of this is I built an emoti celebrant of bounty mm-hmm. deck right after Commander <clears throat> Legends came out because I, I loved it. I love Cascade. I want to do cool stuff with it and building like a Cascade centric deck where your average converted mana cost is six plus. Mm -hmm. I was like, fantastic. Like you look at the curve on this and it's going to be like, you're basically not doing anything until a Modi comes down and then you're like cascading over and over and over again. Uh, and I went like turn three Emoti, turn four Apex Devastator. Oh, damn. Times. Oh, that's I, gross. And, right. And I ended up like cascading into extra turn spells, which cascaded themselves. Oh, and damn. Suddenly I was I was apologizing to the table and I was like, look, this, this deck has gone off. It wasn't intended to do this. I know that you've been sitting around and watching me take four turns in a row. I feel bad about this. And I immediately turned around and I took the deck apart. 
Like it, it did what it did. It did it a lot better than I wanted, but it created such a poor play experience for the other three people sitting around the table. Yeah. And I was just like, nope, never again. I've, I've it, done that before. Yeah. 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 I, I've got an Averna Cascade deck that, um, I built purposely with like no kind of tutors, none, none. Um, like I think the only counter spell I even have is the, the Cascade one. Um, mm -hmm. just cause I want Cascade. Um, but I did no extra turn stuff. It's literally like draw go type thing. I've got a few draw spells, but it's more just whatever I cascade into. That's what's going to happen. I don't know. And, and to me, I kind of like that because it's random. You know, it's right, right. D different experience. I, it, it's still stories like that that make me think twice before I build like a Simic good stuff commander again. Because there, there are just some deck archetypes or color combinations where no matter what you do it's going yeah. to be a lot better than you expect or that's out there uh, and that's because the value floor on a lot of the cards that you're playing is so much higher than anything else i know uh, right and, Gr green is terrible it needs all the help it gets and especially <laughs> blue they, right exactly they're just exactly they're well, garbage when you combine land ramp with card draw who knew things would be good right right <laughs> Let's talk about that real quick. Like, do you remember when Green was? Green's always been good at ramp, but <laughs> ba ba back in Ravnica Allegiance or before Ravnica Allegiance came out, Simic was always just like in in the past two Ravnica sets. Simic was always kind of like trash, right? Right. Like like Graft was good, but it wasn't completely broken. I mean, yeah, you could have Experiment Kraj and do infinite combo shit with Horseshoe Crab and all that. But um, what was the Simic thing in? in Return to Ravnica, Evolve? Yes, uh, Evolve. And that's when uh, the archetype kind of got plus one, plus one counters yeah, worked yeah. into it. And I think that that's when things really started to evolve uh, yeah. for the color combination. But, but but it still didn't feel that strong. You know, like, like it was still good, but I feel like Ravnica Allegiance, they just took Simic and like, we're going to break it now. We're just going to make it complete good stuff. Growth Spiral, Hydroid Crisis, um, Wilderness Reclamation. Um, yeah. What the fuck else? You know, just Ur yeah. Uro, when with Theros Beyond Death came out, it's like Oko, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's funny because I've, I've sat down and I've talked with uh, Gavin uh, from Wizards, and mm -hmm. he's talked about what development cycles look like and how they develop so far in advance that they don't oh, yeah. know what the ramifications of these cards are going to be. They they can they can guess and they have the future future league in house yeah. where they play these cards against each other, but it's only when you introduce it to such a wide audience that oh, you understand what the capabilities of some of these cards are. So like uh, like I I've, I've been playing Magic since Ice Age. And mm -hmm. I remember when the closest thing to green card draw uh, we had was like compost in like masks when it's like whenever a player plays a yeah. blue spell draw a card or whenever a black permanent goes or black card goes to a graveyard, yeah. draw a card uh, and then like there was nothing through until onslaught where you got um, an on combat damage draw trigger in green in the first time and you can see that evolution of the color where it goes from you know it's got one thing and it's ramp to now it does everything and when yeah. you combine a color that now does everything with another color that does everything, you get broken degenerate bullshit. Uh, and one of my favorite latest examples of this is look at all of the sweet stuff that Red has gotten lately. Over the past several years, Red has gone from a joke of a color 
to a real contender because red now has great card draw outlets red has oh, yeah. ramp and rituals with token generators and that has been a very clear sign of wizard's development process understanding that a color needs help and mm -hmm. ramping up with it so when everybody sits around and shits on white right now give it like a couple of years like give it two or three years and suddenly you're going to start seeing white get a lot of new tricks and a lot of new tools yeah we saw some of that say, in the strixhaven um pre-con the the oscar one exactly the the lorehold kind yeah, of flavor lorehold. spin on yeah. boros right boros has been a joke for years oh yeah because all it does is turn dudes sideways but now with Lorehold, we've gotten so many more tricks for mm -hmm. that color combination. Look look at that as the evolution of what Wizards wants to do with some of these colors and some of the mechanics that they're getting, some of the interactions that they're getting. And I, I am so hopeful that one day we're going to get all of the colors on an even playing field again. And I've got the confidence that design is going to get there eventually, but you have to have the patience. White is clearly lacking right now. White clearly has a deficit oh, yeah. right now. Give it a couple of years. We're seeing powerful stuff come out for it, card by card by card. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I did want to bring up that um, is something that I started to notice this trend, and I don't know if it's just me, um, but one thing I've noticed with a lot more new people coming into EDH, Magic and then EDH, um, one thing I noticed that I see very common is someone will get their first deck, right? Whether it be a pre-con or they build it themselves and they want to make it as powerful as possible, right? Because that, that I, I mean, and I feel like that's common, you know, because I was the same way. Like my first EDH deck was Crufix that I built by myself and it used to be Hydra Tribal and mm -hmm. I wanted to get all the best Hydras and then I discovered Eldrazi because I didn't play during uh, the original Zendikar because I took a break um, during that and when I discovered Eldrazi I'm like okay it's going to be Eldrazi Tribal and all that and it still is um, mm -hmm. and, and and so what I noticed is they, they build their this deck make it super strong, super powerful um, and then it just gets to a point where maybe we're that arms race with their friends, It's they're at the top now and then they build another deck and they make it really strong and optimized and powerful. And then I feel like at some point along the way, they're just like, all right, I'm bored of this. Let's make fun, you know, meme decks or whatever. Yep. And then I, 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 I notice that then that's all they start doing. And then maybe they go back to making powerful decks, but it's more of the they want to make fun decks. And, and, and you, you have described the exact arc that my friend group and I were on when we started out in Command. We started out in Commander and we, we made some decks and then like they weren't really balanced against each other. Like one player's deck really trumped another player's deck. So they yeah. built uh, another deck to play against that. And the, the meta arms race of playing in such an insular playgroup really does result in an escalation to the point where you reach like, hey, everybody's playing competitive. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, everybody's playing really high power. Everybody's found the CEDH deck database, and now they're building stuff out of that as well. Uh, and then you loop back around and you say, hey, let's just play for shits and giggles. I've got this like fun 10-card combo that I want to do. I don't want to play 10 games tonight. I want to play two. And you yeah. get into it where it's really super chill. But you have that understanding when you're really familiar with a player. 
Uh, and, yeah. and you mentioned like a, a lot of players saying, like, I want to make this deck as powerful as possible. On my series where I do tune-ups on my channel, I have players reach out to me with deck lists, and the the first line in it is always, I have this deck and I want to make it as powerful as possible. Every time. <laughs> and I've received hundreds of submissions at this point. Yeah. And everybody is like, hey, I really like this commander, I really like what it does, but I want to make it as powerful as possible. Everybody says that. And I always message that person back, and I'm like, do you want to make it as powerful as possible? Or do you want to make it fun? Do you want to have a good time or do you want to beat someone? Because not necessarily are those the same thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and they might say, like, hey, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked by somebody else in my group, so I want to build a deck that's more powerful than theirs. No, you want to play a deck that plays around that play style is what you want to do. And some people can't express it, and some people don't know that there are things other than I just want to beat my friends. Because... Commander is the evolution of kitchen table magic. Yep. And kitchen table magic is where you sit around with the same like four to eight people all the time and you play the same decks and you sit down playing and say, free for all magic with 60 card decks and exactly, with whatever exactly. you had in your collection. Yeah, that, that is exactly it. And now <laughs> that's what I remember as a kid taking over the casual. Yeah. And and you're sitting down and it's like, oh, you know, such and such got their goblin deck. And now it's like now they've got their Cranko deck. We're going to get mobbed by a million goblins now. What do we do to do that? Well, maybe include one or two cards that prevents them from doing that. Yeah. Right? But you don't have to build the most powerful deck because you don't want to escalate that arms race. Yeah. Right? No, for sure. No, it, <laughs> so, that... so, yeah. No, go, it, go on. It, it's just uh, it's just about that, that expectation within a playthrough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's super important where um, setting the expectation you and really it this is the thing that i love with magic is there's just so many possibilities of what you can and can't build and um it's it's basically endless um mm -hmm. the and it kind of makes me yearn for the day of kitchen table play more so like <laughs> like like is the more so my, my journey to magic i started back in urza saga played until nemesis i think then stopped didn't pick it up again till kamigawa ravnica um and then stopped again and didn't pick it up for good until um uh m13 and i haven't stopped since i i, I kind of miss the days of just when i was ignorant of everything mm -hmm. like didn't know and not that i still know every single card right but it's like my knowledge of cards is a lot greater than when i came back to it and all that stuff and i kind of miss those days of just kind of building with whatever cards I had on hand and making these fun decks. And it's just, you can't go back to those days, man. I miss it. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, the, the wonder of this, uh, of discovering something that you've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I love looking at viewer submitted deck lists, because I'll look at this and they're building around a concept that I would have never thought of, or I've never seen in the wild before. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. they're including a card in there. That's such a deep cut that I'm like, I have never seen this card played before, but it is such a perfect fit for this deck. And those are the kind of like gold nuggets that I love to see. And one of the reasons why I will sit down across from people and uh, if I have a game with somebody, I'm like, send me your deck list afterwards because I want to see all of the cool shit that you put in there. Yeah, because right? to me, that is, that is my wonder. 
Like that is that that is what I love to do. I love to sit down across from somebody. I love to see the glow on their face when they tell me about their deck, and then I love seeing all of the spice that they put in that deck list. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do like that. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. That that is like Christmas to me when I look at somebody's list and I'm like whoa where did this card come from like right uh, I, i've got a, a friend right now who's playing with uh ice cauldron as mm -hmm. a card for a cornerstone oh, for her God. Dad. <laughs> and, and, and i am like oh wow i have not seen ice cauldron since i started playing and i have never seen it in commander at this point yeah, if you're i don't able think to i've do ever like this, seen it I, in commander i want to see it go off i want right? to see the spice uh, and that kind of thing that that fills me with joy. That makes me giddy like a kid. Uh, oh, and that's 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 this format for you. <laughs> one of my buddies, uh, Baltan, he built a um. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna forget the name of this Azorius Angel Lady. Um, she, no, 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 no. It. Uh, I think she came out in just the past Zendikar. Um, set Zendikar Rising. Um, something of the Seagate or. Uh, um, is that the new Lavinia? It maybe uh, uh, not not Lavinia. Um, because no, because that's Ravnica. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, she, I, I cannot remember her name right now. But gonna make me gonna make me look it up because I, yeah. I hate not having the card name. Uh, let's see. I think uh, it was Cinderella. Yeah, uh, Linvala. Linvala. Lin Lin Seagate. Yes. There you go. I was All close right. with Lavinia. Yeah, <laughs> it was an L. Yes. <laughs> um there was there's a V in there somewhere. Yeah. No, but um he he built a a flag bearer tribal with Linvala as the commander. And um and flag bearers out of like uh out of Asian like, and Apollo. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, there's God, only like really <laughs> there's only really like what two or three flag bearers or something in yeah. those colors. Um but he 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 built it so he could like he would get a flag bearer out and make sure his other creatures would have flag bearer. Of, I can't remember what cards they all were, but and it's like it, it's really crappy deck, right? But just the idea of it is so much fun. And like if he can pull it off, I'm like fucking bravo. That's awesome. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you just oh, you just sparked such nostalgia for me. Because, uh, <laughs> Right, right around Invasion was where I started playing constructed formats, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember the f the flag bearers so fondly that I want to see them come back in some way, shape, or form. And, and right it would be nice. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet out and I'm gonna be like, bring back flag bearers. Because, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's like that. That mechanic is so unexplored as well. Like a card that has to be targeted, yeah. As opposed to a card that can't be targeted. I want. I, mean, I want to see more of that. They're they're starting to bring back phasing. I mean, I never thought I'd see phasing again, and then they printed Teferi's Protection. I'm like, okay, maybe that's the last time we'll see it. Nope, they started making more. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's evergreen now because we're yeah. seeing it in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. So, yeah. I, who knows? Um. You know, then if they can bring back phasing, they can bring back banding. They can do it. <laughs> they can bring back banding. All right. No, no, it, it, wizards. If you're watching this, don't bring back banding. Oh, I've, I've I've already had Gavin on the podcast, and I think I told him bring back banding because because I told him about my Aisha Tanaka deck that I had one time. It was banding and phasing. It was the worst <laughs> deck, but it was so much fun. Where I, I'd get like what um 
oh, I, I can't remember some of the card names, but I could like target someone's creature, or whatever, phase it out, and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you're you're fifteen, fifteen, whatever, phased out, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's the let me bring up the Oracle ruling dot deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, and um, it, it was such a terrible deck, but it was just so funny to um play banding and then just people be like what the fuck does that do yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh wow uh, and, and oh god i remember like benelish hero was one of uh the first cards i ever opened as well and it's like mm-hmm. a, a white one one for one with banding and a, a great, uh, as amazing. a kid i was so frustrated by it i was like i am never playing this i don't understand banding and i'm never going to <laughs> oh yeah like like once you understand like banding is actually pretty simple to understand but the rulings that they typed out for it originally were just the most confusing shit ever like what <laughs> like like yeah. it's it, it simply put all right everyone attacks as one group you choose like if your opponent decides to block you choose who they block that's about it and then like the thing is you'd want to give everybody trample so you could get the trample damage over yeah from everybody yeah yeah it it, it would be interesting to see a rules revisit on something like banding Uh, i I don't think it'll ever come back but yeah because because i think i saw it one time in one of morrow's old um storm articles where he rates like mechanics and all that stuff yeah Yeah. the storm scale um (laughs) And I think it was in one of his articles, and he said, like, it'll probably never come back. I'm like, that's what you said about Storm, and yet they just made Storm again in Modern Horizons 2. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah come there, on. There is so much on that Storm scale, which they said, hey, this isn't coming back. Right. That has come back already that nothing is off the table All right. at this point. P- people say, you know, you know, when, when Wizards breaks the reserve list, that's when, you know, shit's gone down the, like, oh, shit's getting serious. No, you know shit's getting serious when they bring back banding. They're like, oh, fuck, Hasbro was, like, juicing them of money. They <laughs> Yeah, that's the break glass in case of emergency. Yes, yes. Right there. <laughs> it, maybe we'll see banding when they do the Warhammer 40k set. You know, that, that came to mind uh, because, uh, like... I, I see like vehicles almost as pseudo banding as yeah. well because it's like you you add a creature to another creature to crew and then it gets through and it's still only one creature uh but it's still like turning a low power into a higher power to to yeah. cross so so maybe vehicles are like the fixed banding and we're definitely going to see that when they do like the warhammer crossover oh, dude. there's no way that they don't yeah. give us like a dreadnought or something right uh, <laughs> like, like I don't know a lot about Warhammer 40k, but I know at least like some of the basics of it. Um, but yeah. but um, I have to say, vehicles have probably been one of my favorite mechanics that they've done in the past like decade, where it was just such a unique mechanic. Where you know, oh, you want your Gishath to crew a train? Hell yeah, Dino Train go! Um, yep, freaking great. The um, the the one thing that also blew my mind when I had Gavin on was I, I straight up asked him like. How have you guys not run out of, run out of ideas yet? Like it, it's, <laughs> you guys are going over twenty what twenty five years or whatever, and yeah, you get twenty six yeah twenty six and you guys still haven't run out of ideas. Like how is that possible? And he just said he 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 just sort of like nod like smiled and just said you just wait we still have like ten more years of design that we have not even explored yet. And I'm like how the fuck like. Like, like when when sagas came out, I thought sagas were fucking amazing as a design. 
Like, oh yeah, that like they're freaking great. And now, you know, with the Adventures of Forgotten Realms, the class enchantments. Yes, th- those, those are blew my mind. That was for oh, me like fucking loved it. They have a lot up their sleeve when it's like level up on an enchantment. Is that yeah. they, there's there's a lot that they can do with like the one off mechanics that they used mm-hmm. previously and just use them in a different way that is enough to just add such a fresh take on the entire game that I I love it and oh, they're, yeah. they're pushing so many boundaries with these mechanics and even the parasitic mechanics that we're seeing like uh, like venturing venturing mm-hmm. into a dungeon here in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Are we likely to see it outside of this set? Maybe if we do another D and D themed set, which but they imagine what better. they do with yeah, <laughs> which they better because they they haven't even they haven't even plumbed the entire mine of ideas in D and D right yeah, now. Yeah, it's just but, Forgotten Realms. They could do Dragonlance, they can do Eberron, Spelljammer, Spelljammers. Oh yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I would love to see magic in space. I, I really oh my would. god. <laughs> Shit, I, I'd even take a. I, I know this would never happen, but I'd love to see even like a magic pathfinder, magic starfinder. Oh, Ugh. exactly, exactly. <laughs> I I want I want to see them push the the envelope, and I want to yeah. see like a setting that's between the planes, like in the Blind Eternities kind of yeah. thing, in a Spelljammer style. Like, are there oh, ships awesome. out there that navigate the Blind Eternities? Like, come on, how is that not a concept that we've seen already? Right, uh, but but like there there are so many mechanics that they've used just as one offs in like one mm-hmm. set or one block that I can't wait to see them bring back with new twists on them. I've always said I want to see energy come back. I want to see energy come back, and I want to see it come back with a vengeance as well. Uh, Not as broken like, uh, as it was before. I mean, I, I, depending on what you can do with it, yeah. depending on how you gain energy, like. Uh, th- there were like very clearly some offenders, Aetherworks Marvel, when it Yo. comes to energy, but the rest of it was pretty well balanced and pretty well suited. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to, to say, yeah. can do with that again. Electrostatic uh, Pummeler wasn't too punishing because he- easy to remove, but Aetherworks uh, Marvel was a pain in the ass. Right, right. Well, maybe they don't bring it back in a standard set. Maybe yeah, they yeah, bring yeah. it back in a supplement set. Maybe they bring it back just in like a Commander Precon, right? Or, but, yeah, but yeah, bringing supplement. it back and, and adding new twists on it is what i want to see uh even like kamigawa block which is i think something that's on everybody's tongues right now is oh like, my gosh i love kamigawa return to because that's what uh, got me hooked back into magic for a little bit during my college years was kamigawa because you know ninjas samurai and all that shit and yeah. and, the, and then ravnica right after that i fucking loved it exactly exactly and, and like look at some of the mechanics out of uh kamigawa block like arcane and spirit with soul shift right ninjutsu and all that parasitic mechanics uh, and we've never seen them again but we saw ninjutsu come back Mm -hmm. we've seen new ninjas printed in modern horizons one and with yuriko and in precons and supplements yuriko was a precon right yeah yuriko was in the uh the animatu precon that that was 2018 yeah Yeah, i think so um but it, it, like it, it's fantastic to see them bring back some of these mechanics with new twists. Oh yeah, uh, and and that's what I want to see. I want to see them bring it back, even if it's just like for another handful of cards. For players like me and deck builders like me, I need enough meat to sink my teeth into to to brew. And for some mechanics and for some cards, there just isn't enough of that yet. So I am clamoring, bring back some of this stuff so that I can do neat stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I love the 
I, I love the whole D&D set. I love that it's not a high-powered set. Um, it, it's allowing me to finish my D&D cube, cubes, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, I'm just working Are on the... gelatinous? Not yet. One of them is. <laughs> um, so, so I built a player's cube and a monster's cube. So nice. they can sort of be like played, you know, in, in a like four people can play, you know, just one cube or you could have a two headed giant where two people play the monster two people play the player cube or do like an arch enemy type thing where one person gets the monster cube. These monster cubes a little bit stronger than the player's cube. So it's meant to be players all sort of team up together to fight the monsters and all that. And um, so I've been working on balancing those. But yeah, I love the venture into the dungeon because that's um really really cool mechanic um mm-hmm. love it in limited i haven't really tried it in constructed or anything um yeah and i'm i'm kind of disappointed with it in constructed i've been trying to build around it and brew around it as something that you can do and outside of like uh one particular combo with a sararak and Alurin, uh you can't really speed run dungeons they yeah tuned it to the point where you're venturing once per card per turn and it's only at sorcery speed so clearly they've tuned it to the point where you can't get the benefit of several floors of a dungeon at once yeah abuse it where it's like on combat damage you're venturing the dungeon well i'm going to give them double strike so i venture into the dungeon twice as fast or twice as often or how many times can i do it on my opponent's turns and then i think that there's only one card that lets you venture on opponent's turns at yeah. this point so so they have tuned it so it can't be broken and to me somebody who loves breaking things and exploiting yeah. them after all you can't be a mechanic unless you take something apart and <laughs> put it back together uh having a, a mechanic like uh, like venture and like dungeons where they've purposely ensured that it can't be broken outside of one specific scenario to me breaks my heart because i would love to build a deck around it it just doesn't give me enough to sink my I totally understand that, and I I can see that too. Um, for EDH, like I I'm not that excited to build a dungeon deck, right? But but for my cubes, oh my god, it it's fucking perfect for my cubes, and it also makes me want to build you know more dungeons. Like I was really disappointed that they only made three dungeons. Like out of all the really popular dungeons in D and D, even in Fifth Edition, they they only have these three. I'm like, it just yeah. felt like such a letdown in a sense exactly and and i mean for for somebody who who loves D as much as magic uh yeah to to see that they aren't including some of their other modules or some of their other settings in here especially some of the more recent ones it seems like it's a big nostalgia grab because of all of like the old school frames or the old school module arts that they're doing and not as much as an emphasis on new and what's new in D&D because uh, like granted those three dungeons are newer modules they're fifth mm-hmm. edition modules uh, but all of the lore based characters are decades old at this point as well like that how dare you the, how dare you wait, look, 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 look Dritz is amazing I, I'm not disparaging uh, <laughs> Dritz and the works of R.A. Salvatore uh, I, I am just saying that there's a, a lot of modern lore for players in what is essentially D&D's renaissance right now. Yeah, yeah. That isn't going to resonate with them, but it is going to resonate with people like us who have been around and have played it for 
decades as well. And I don't know if that's Wizards' intention from a marketing standpoint. I think they so. Want to cater to the older audience or bring in the newer audience that's playing D and I think maybe it's mix of both, but I'd have to assume maybe the the 30s to 50s maybe because we're the ones who have the quote-unquote deeper pockets than the younger crowd. Um, well, after all, they're saving up for houses. As we yes. Discussed. Yeah. <laughs> the the Zoomers, um, they're never going to have a house. Um, yeah. they're, they're all going to have to go Mad Max style and fight for water. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so and that allows us no, to... because they can't afford cars either. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, that allows us, us boomers, um, to be able to afford luxury items like magic cards. God, that sounds fucking scummy of me <laughs> to talk right, about. Right, right. <laughs> oh, God. Just, just the fact that you referred to people of our age as boomers is like... We oh, essentially are at this point. point Fuck. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, uh, don't get me started. I've, I've got a few friends that call me a boomer because I am the oldest of our friends group, and uh, it hurts every time. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but also they're the ones that come to me and are like, "Hey, you've been playing Magic for longer than I've been alive at this point." Like, oh. God, how sad is that? It's like, it, it's like so. So I've also been playing World of Warcraft since the beginning, like in two thousand five, right? Oh yeah, and um, it, it's. Oh god, it, it's so weird because my daughter, my youngest, um, she started playing it like just a couple years ago. She doesn't play right now, but it's like, fuck, kid, I've been playing this game before you even born, and it's like, it's did, like did the, you start her off on modern Warcraft, or did you have her play classic? Well, no, no. It, at the time, it was like Mist of Pandaria or something like that, or Warlords of Draenor. So this is before classic was. Yeah, um, gotcha. I, I gotta say, WoW Classic. You try to bring someone into that now, it's not a good game. Oh yeah, it, it, it is. is not. It is entirely made for the people like us that play that yeah. launch and want those kind of feels. I, I played all the way up to Warlords of Draenor, uh, and then I, I cut myself off from there. <sighs> I'm I'm still playing. It's um the the though I I I've Order Alliance Order Alliance. <laughs> so so that's a complicated question for me, um, <laughs> and, and, and I'll explain. My, my very first character that I actually stuck with, because when I first played, you know, I tried out a whole bunch of different races and different classes to find what stuck, right? Mm-hmm. That the first class and race combo that really stuck with me, and I still have this character from vanilla, was a night elf druid. Because mm-hmm. I loved being able to turn into a bear, you know, the cat and, um, you know, the leopard and all that stuff. So... That is the character that I've had since the very beginning of since 2005. Still have him. He's my baby. He's my 15 or 16 year old baby now. He's gonna be 18 in a couple of years. <laughs> um, wow. So, so obviously that's alliance, right? But I make all my other alts are all horde. Mm-hmm. So I and, and undead are my favorite race. The, the yeah. Forsaken. So and and if Forsaken ever came out with a Druid class, I would race change in a heartbeat because they are my absolute favorite. So my my my, my second main, which I made in 2007, uh, at January 2007, because I remember, um, just like how you remember when your baby's born, yeah. <laughs> um, was was an undead warlock because nice yeah. like like that's probably my second favorite class of all time is warlocks. And what made me fall in love with Warlocks was going into Goldshire and Vanilla one day and a Warlock summoned the, the Green Infernal and, yeah. and, and let go the... Um, oh, God, because what would you do? You can control it, then you'd lose the control of it, then it would start attacking everybody. And it'd go wild, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so 
I remember going into Goldshire one day and just it started killing everybody. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is so awesome. And yeah, right. <laughs> and then at the I, I didn't make a warlock until Burning Crusade came out, and that that that's yeah. that's how my warlock was born. So. Uh, I I played the same character, uh, a uh, a dwarf warrior, through uh, all the way through Wrath of the Lich King, mm-hmm. uh, and I I was in a raiding progression guild. Yeah, uh, so, so was I during Burning Crusade and Wrath. So it, I was like hardcore into it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Kata killed like, my guild though. Yeah, I so I I was like this is a second job kind of thing like Oh my god, up, yeah. It really uh, did. It <laughs> wasn't yeah, it? Right? You, you Holy show up shit. on time. You you plan to be there for like 5 or 6 hours as you're slamming your head against your progression walls in your dungeons. And you'd have uh, your farming days too, like up oh, got to farm all the mats for whatever fucking you shit. Got, you got got to make all of my my food and all of my potions and you got to get everything to your alchemists and everything. And yeah, oh um, god. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really yeah. was a second job. Holy shit! Exactly. Oh exactly. my god. Uh, so, so I, I had that character, and that character was hands down my favorite because uh, in the days where everybody expected warriors to be sword and board tanks, I was a DPS warrior, uh, nice. and I was involved in like theory crafting for DPS output for fury warriors. Like that's how oh, into the that, that I was like back in the day. Oh dude, uh, that, where I, I was the same with druid tanks because I wanted to make druid tank viable in vanilla, and I was so pissed it was not. And I would like try every which way. And then when Burning Crusade came out, when they actually made druid tanks viable, I was like, oh, it's a godsend. Yeah. <laughs> I, absolutely, I, I was the same way when uh, they finally released DPS set gear. For warriors in Burning Crusade, but it was like oh, the, God, the PvP gear. Uh, it, so you you had to PvP grind in order to get DPS gear for a warrior. To do I remember that shit. Raid. Yeah, I remember that oh, shit. So, like having to PvP for. I, I hated it, but then I started enjoying PvP so much that I just yeah. started doing like arenas and Burning Crusade and all that. Um, yeah, the yeah. the fucking I remember with the the druid warrior combo and like season one season two like it was so broken and then you'd oh, have yeah. uh what the double warlock combo where yeah oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah, trust me i i could i can go on and on about it but uh so so i like i did a lot of theory crafting around that and i i don't know if it's evident but when i get into a hobby i like i get into a hobby and i i get into the nuts and bolts of it uh, so like that that was one of my first experiences with like I'm so deeply invested in this let me break down like the numbers so that we can get an yeah. ideal uh, ability rotation for a DPS output in raids for a warrior right uh, oh, but but I played that character through until the end of Wrath of the Lich King and then I started playing a Death Knight uh, and I played a Death Knight through until my account got hacked oh uh, shit and uh, it was right around the time where you could start playing as a goblin as a playable race. So, yeah, that, that was Cataclysm. So yeah, so so I I switched over to uh, to uh, Horde with all of my my friends and my guildmates. Uh, we swapped over the Horde side. And I, I I think I've made just about every class as a goblin that I can <laughs> at this point because yeah, uh, it, it's fun. They're fun, and I love their voices too. <laughs> Dude, it, it's um. So I still play WoW. I haven't been playing WoW as much lately because I got into Final Fantasy XIV. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I 
played Final Fantasy XIV when it first, first came out, because I love Final Fantasy. Like, I'm a huge RPG nut, um, and so I was excited about because I could never play Final Fantasy XI, the first MMO they did. So when fourteen came out, I went out, bought the collector's edition, and holy shit, that game sucked. Like, I tried playing it for like a <laughs> month. It was just god-awful. Um, so then I never played again, and then... Now, years later, since I've heard so many good things about it, I set up my account, and holy shit, man. It, it's it's almost like playing Vanilla WoW again of just, like, the wonder of it. Dude, yeah. so not not trying to get you sucked into it, but the, th <laughs> the thing that just sucked me into this world was the community is fucking fantastic. The community of WoW now is utter shit. Like, it, it's... Here complete garbage now it's nothing like it was like I, I used to love doing dungeons um like dungeons were my main thing that i used to love to do in the game and, th and then when they released mythic difficulty for dungeons oh i was all for it because heroic was too easy yeah. um and then sometime in in battle for azeroth and now shadowlands it's it just got so toxic to the point where i'm like i'm done with this i can't do and, and so my favorite piece of content i just completely stopped doing and I'm like, so I feel like I'm not even participating in the game as much. Um, yeah. But but the thing with Final Fantasy XIV, the thing I love the community is, like, people are nice. Like, you will get banned if you're an asshole in that game. Like, Square Enix does not play around. They like if you're like if you grief someone or you you know, just do whatever. Like, be an asshole. Like, be toxic. Like, they will ban you. Um, yeah. And the, the thing that also drew me was, so you can actually play musical instruments in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I logged in one night and there's this group of like four or five characters, all, like all different people, not, not the same person, not multiboxing or anything. They're all playing music and they're playing the Friends theme song for like a whole <laughs> crowd. And I'm all like, yeah. this is fucking awesome. And, right? and so and then they started playing Queen and then they started playing... Um, Oh, oh god! Uh, oh, fuck. the the rock you like a hurricane. Uh, was it the scorpions? Yeah. Um, I. But me. but 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 like it's it just that sort of thing. You're just like, holy fuck! This is awesome. Like yeah, like you don't see this kind of shit in any other MMO. You know. Right, and and it, it's so interesting how you can draw parallels to Magic and Commander in that as well because oh, those yeah. tools are in the game but the use of them is entirely up to the players right mm -hmm. and it's like the the cards we have cards that are out there and you never think that somebody's going to use good them segue. in conjunction good segue right <laughs> yeah, well, hey, come on I, I i i'm no amateur uh but uh, like it, it it's still very oh, interesting it, to it, see that yeah. uh, commander is essentially the uh the cardboard version of emergent gameplay in a video game Right, mm -hmm. And the concept of emergent gameplay is uh, that the developers give you tools and a system to work in, but not until it's in the, plan the hands of a player do they know how it's going to be used and what exploits are going to come out of it because it's, it's up to essentially mass testing in the hands of people. Uh, so sure, they give everybody instruments in Final Fantasy XIV, but did they ever expect people to get uh, well-versed enough in them to hold concerts? in game and right. like league of legends does this as well too where things like uh leashing jungle mobs is uh emergent gameplay that's not something that the developers ever took into consideration for a gameplay aspect 
uh, and it, it's in the hands of the players. And Commander as a format came as emergent gameplay because it's not a wizard's generated format. It's a player generated format. And, and now it's, it's a, essentially a, a player regulated format as well. Uh, and I, I like drawing those parallels because that means that we don't know what the evolution of it is going to be. It's entirely up to us as the players and us as the player base. Is Commander going to get toxic to the point that you mentioned WoW is, where people are going to start leaving and doing something else? Is that the case? Are there going to be enough stomps? And it's up to the RC to do their best to prevent that. And that circles back to our talk about the ban of Hull Breacher. Because the emergent gameplay of the use of Hull Breacher is that it's used in the most negative sense. And think of the RC as developers in a video game. They're going to patch out that exploit. And that's what this ban has done. Yeah, uh, to, you, to put a nice little bow on everything. <laughs> uh, oh, no, 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 no. And, and it brings it perfectly. It, you just made me think that the, the way you describe like how... You know, Watsi makes magic, and then we sort of do whatever we want with it, right? We're we're there to break it, in, in a sense, um, mm -hmm. as players. It, it kind of reminds me why I love building cubes because I love designing cubes, and I try to make sure not everything, you know, try to make everything balanced as best you can, and try not to have any broken stuff in it. If you want a nice balanced cube, and then. I love being able to give it to people in my Discord and be like, draft it, see what you can build. And then yep. there's sometimes, you know, people like, oh, well, if I combine this card, this card, this card, you know, boom, I've got infinite whatever. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I didn't even see that because I was just looking at one column at a time. And 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 another and I think that's another reason why, you know, bringing it to D&D, &D, that's why I love DMing, because I love presenting a scenario and seeing what the fuck my players are going to do to try to break it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned cube, and uh, there's a great story. I made a commander cube, so entirely singleton cube, uh, to be drafted as commander decks mm -hmm. uh, and to be played with upwards of eight people, either two pods or like a pod of four or six. Uh, and one of the cards I put in the cube is Mesmeric Orb uh, because I love mes Mesmeric Orb. Praise the orb. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we we got into a game where Mesmeric Orb came down on turn two, and one player's solution to not lose into Mesmeric Orb was to not play the game. He just sat there and passed every turn. He never tapped any permanents. He never cast any spells. While everybody else was casting spells and tapping permanents and milling themselves out, he sat there and he did nothing. And he ended up winning that game because oh, he shit. decided to not engage with the thing that was ruining everything else. He would just sit there and he'd play a land and he'd pass. And he'd play a land and he'd pass. And he'd play a land and he'd pass. While everybody's decks were going from like 60 to 40 to 20 to 0. Oh god. And, and he won by not casting a single spell all game. Uh, and the, like that that's the kind of gameplay that I never would have expected putting together the cube. Oh, right. That the way to win a game would be to not play the game at all. Fucking and people. That, <laughs> they right, they right. surprise you. <laughs> That that led me to taking Mesmeric Orb out of the queue yeah. in that situation, but but still, it was an, an ingenious workaround for a problem like that. Of the more I play the game, the closer I am to losing. So the less I play the game, the closer I am to winning. Yeah, it, it yeah blows your mind. That, that's why I love cube, and that's why I love DMing. It's like I, I enjoy playing D and D, but not as much as I do DMing because I love, and, and I do all homebrew stuff. I. I'll take ideas from modules and all that stuff, but it's I, I 
one of my favorite stories to tell is um, a campaign, I guess it was almost two years ago now, where the, the group gets into a thieves guild. Um, they're sneaking in the guild area and they come across a meeting that's going on between two opposing factions that, you know, they're uniting for a greater purpose. And the, the whole goal was, all right, they're either going to bypass this room or go in there and kill everyone. Now, the the one of them was like, I'm just going to go in there and start talking to them. I'm like, OK. And, and I'm really good at like improv. I'm good at like thinking on on my feet and all that i did not expect them to sort of make an alliance with the two opposing factions and like hey we're gonna join up with you now and we're gonna help you take out this bigger bad guy now and i'm all like oh fuck that kind of changes everything and it gets me excited because i'm like fuck yeah i get to explore something new now yep absolutely absolutely and i i am normally a forever dm Oh yeah, uh, and I homebrew all of my own stuff as well. I just finished an arc with a with a group of friends. Nice. Uh, and uh, we 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 ended off the arc tying into a character's backstory, and I wasn't sure how he was going to engage with the hook that I put in there, but played it perfectly. And it's just set up all of the stakes for the next couple of arcs as well. And you just love it when you see like a combo come together in magic, and it's like these synergize so well and you're not sure how it's going to work out and you're not sure how it's going to play and you're not sure how other people are going to engage with it and when it does it is so satisfying and so rewarding uh, and i love that kind of thing uh D is basically a emergent development the game right, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah god it, it, it's it's i've gotten to a point now because i've been dming forever like since college and all that stuff and this homebrew world is basically the same world I've had since college, but it's grown a lot since then. Um, mm -hmm. And we just finished a two-year campaign a couple months ago, and we started a new campaign. And um, I've gotten to a point with my prep where I've got a general idea of where I want the story to be. Like, I, I think the thing I probably prep the most is if I know when they're going into a town, I'll really develop the history of the town and the NPCs. And whenever they go into a dungeon, I love designing dungeons. Like, just all the little traps and monsters they may come across. But other than that, like, overworld stuff, like, I have, I, I, I draw out the overworld on that stuff, but I'm like, whatever's in it, I'll just make up random shit. Like, yeah. and, and sometimes that turns into a story you have no idea what the hell's going to happen. Uh, it's funny, uh, when, when I DM, I am, like, the everything's made up on the fly DM, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I'll note everything down and I'll work it in. So, like, somebody will have come across a random vendor in session one that I bring back a year later. Oh, I've done the same. Yeah, the it, it, it's fun. I love that kind of thing. And, and you know, there, there's always the jokes and the memes out there about how players will glom onto completely useless random NPCs. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things. Uh, we, we had an encounter with a pirate captain and his displacer beast recently and they the the players forced the pirate captain to flee leaving his displacer beast behind and i was expecting them to abandon it or to kill it but yeah. no the druid in the party befriended it and oh, suddenly nice. they have this displacer beast following them around now and uh now i'm working that into the balance of the campaign too so there's essentially this pet npc <laughs> that's walking oh around dude oh my god that freaking reminds me um have you ever seen the meme like where the the party like wants to befriend a goblin and the paladin's like nope i don't want anything to do with the the, the goblin and then like, and it shows like the paladin and the goblin like being best friends and all that stuff yeah. so 
I literally had the same thing happen like before I ever saw that meme or anything where the the, the group were, were in these caves um they they freed a bunch of goblin slaves and there was one goblin there that was like you know hey can I come with you and whatever and they're like no 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 you can't you know I, I can't remember this was like two years ago so they just they basically told him to go off and they gave him some food and said bye and all that and then um it, the uh oh sorry um but so so what happens later on is when they go back to like the main town hub is that goblin i i was like you know i'm gonna see what happens i'm gonna have that goblin show up and be like hey um can i work with you guys or whatever and the paladin was like you know i'm starting an order of paladins and all that stuff won't you be you know you're gonna join me uh stuff i'm like and then i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> so, so now that character's like become integral part of of that order of paladins you know two right. years later and and now he's like a main staple of like the larger world where you know he's helped build up these paladin this group of paladins and and all that stuff and so i fucking love that shit <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely fantastic. I, I had a, a friend invite me to guest in one of the campaigns that she was DMing, just like mm-hmm. a, a one-time uh, part of a larger arc, and she had me play a kobold janitor in a bar, uh, which was a, a ton of fun to do, but by the end of the night, the PCs were like, can they come with us? <laughs> can, can that come with us? We want to hire him. He's he's being exploited here, working at this bar as a janitor. Can he come with us? And and he ended up being a hireling for them. And they took him back. And now he's the janitor at their like home base. Uh, so uh, like, that's awesome. A, a one time like goofy character the players adopt and now is like a, a run. I love that shit, man. I, I, love I love it. it. I, I love it. <laughs> How long have you been playing D and D for? Uh, so I started playing around the tail end of fourth. Okay. Uh, and I started DMing, and I DM'd the same group for two years, and then a different group concurrently for three, and then fifth launched, and I've been playing consistently through through fifth. Okay. Now I I asked because um, it, I I wonder if you've noticed this um playing because when I first started DMing um. We were actually playing a homebrew RPG for the longest time that me and my friend came up with. It was like it was an offshoot of D and D. It was sort of like D and D meets Final Fantasy, where mm-hmm. instead of like you pick a class, like you have a job class and you can mix and match the job classes. Like, okay, you want to be a cleric, right? Okay, cool. You can like go two levels into cleric. Then, oh, you want to be a badass ninja? Okay, cool, awesome. And, and you'll get like all these abilities that mix and match with each other and. Um, but, but so we DM that and what I've noticed like over the years and th- then I went to D&D 5th when it came out because um, no one wanted to play 4th edition around me. It, it was all like three and a half and, and at the it time was so bloated by it, the end it, of the lifespan for 4th. Yeah. Well, well even three and a half like when we were trying to look at three and a half like by the time that I started getting back into D&D because I started with 2nd when I was a kid like a little kid and I, I just went by whatever my DM said because I didn't know any better. I was too young. Um, but at the time we didn't want to get into three and a half because there was so much shit for it. We're like, we don't even know where to start. Right. Um, so, but what I've noticed when we were younger, it's like, holy shit, all my friends and I, we were all murder hobos. And I've noticed as we've gotten older, it's more of, I mean, you need to get your murder hobo tendencies, but it's more like, 
let's role play it out. Let's talk it out. Let's try to be diplomatic and all that stuff. Have you noticed similar or? Uh, yes. And I think that that is uh, player familiarity and uh, their comfort in role playing and being in game. And for people coming from other systems or from other experiences like video games, where like literally in video games, the only thing that you do is kill stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so getting somebody into D and D that's coming from something like WoW, like we talked about, where there are role playing elements, but basically you're still just there to kill as much stuff as possible. Yeah. Uh, you, you, your immediately your first instinct is everything's a loot pinata, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna kill something, and like either XP is gonna come out of it, or they're gonna drop some gold, or uh, you know, an item, or whatever it is. Uh, and that's what everybody trends towards. Uh, but then the more comfortable you get playing and the more you explore the system, the more you're able to determine, like, there's a story to be told here as opposed to there are things to be killed here. Uh, yeah. And that's one of the things that I see with uh, new players versus uh, veteran players is that... I can see players, that, yeah. Yeah, new new players are the ones that, like, uh, I'm playing an orc barbarian. Her favorite thing to do is to sharpen her weapons and kill things versus uh, my character's a bard who was betrayed by his platoon uh, and is now out seeking revenge on the man who sold him out to his enemy and, you know, caused a massacre of civilians, right? Oh, man, like, yeah. That, like, it, those, those kind of things are, like, what you see yeah. on, like, a player progression scale. Oh, dude, isn't that great? Um, when you have a new player and they just want to be a murder hobo around, and then you have to teach them the um, the rules of D anD D, where it's like you can't just do whatever you want, right? And, things have consequence in game, right? D anD D as and well. One if of you're my somebody in the street, you're gonna have the guards on you, <laughs> right? The, one of my favorite parts. Um, so a couple like before my whole flood happened i was playing i was dming a game on my discord pixie kitten was a part of it and she hasn't really played a whole lot of dnd um so so there was one session where they were trying to get into uh this little halfling's alchemist shop and, and there was like a whole backstory behind it but but he he was trying to bar them out of the way so pixie is just like i'm just gonna push him aside and walk in i'm like are, are, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm a fucking paladin. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. Right. He, he's hiding something. He's bad because he was hiding something in a shop. And, um, that was something evil. But so, so what did I have the little halfling do? He started immediately calling for the guards, like, yeah. and, and him being the shop owner, the guards are going to believe him over the, the lawful good paladin. <laughs> no, no matter the character's motivation. Yeah. Right, you're you're still doing something that, like, if you were in a real world setting, if you walked into somebody's store and pushed them out of the way, they're calling the cops on you, right? Oh and, yeah, and it takes, yeah. It, it takes a lot for people to realize that, like, even though this is a fantasy setting, like, there are bounds to work within here that that don't completely go off the rails. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm fortunate enough to play with people that understand that, but I've played with groups uh, that uh, and. What one issue in particular is that um, <laughs> I, w- I was DMing a game and it was like a Halloween special that yeah. we were doing, so people were out trick or treating, and uh, oh, that's cool. He got got jumped by a bunch of kids in an alleyway dressed up <laughs> as pirates with with wooden swords, and they wanted to steal their candy, 
and the party didn't hold back and killed them. Oh, damn. Like, you, you know that you just killed kids in costume in an alleyway, right? And, like, this one shot turned into, like, the catalyst for the entire next arc, where they're wanted criminals now. Because that's great. Because there's a murder investigation going on behind the scenes that's being tracked back to these heroes. That and, and I had to teach them the lesson that, like, if somebody attacks you, you can do things non-lethally. You can talk things out. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a group of newer players. And that was the thing that told them that being a murder vagrant, as it's called, is is not acceptable in all situations. And that there are other options that you can do. And, and I love... I, and that's one of the things that I love. Like, you know, I, I always warn new players, like... Remember, things have consequences here. You know, you can't just do whatever you want, but then they either forget or they just want to push buttons. All that stuff, and then you're just like, all right, here come the guards or here, you know, yep. you're, you're wanted for murder now. And, and it's great to see them. They're like, what the fuck? I'm like, I told you, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it is establishing that there are consequences in a game yeah. world. And that that is one of the most important things to do because more often than not in the real world, some of these consequences are not there and not implied. And to, to tie it yeah. back to Commander, look at doing things like breaking a player agreement before you sit down for a game. What are the consequences to that? Well, nobody's going to call the cops on you for doing a stomp in a random pod. They will right? if you play Hall Breacher, though, now. They'll, they'll, they'll call exactly, Sheldon, exactly. and they'll be like, Sheldon, you know, Chris here, he's playing Hall Breacher, and it's banned, you know. Yeah. He's yeah, gonna yeah. get. You're gonna get swatted at that point. <laughs> you can only do that if you're on the RC or the CAG yourself. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, uh, I and I, I say that directly towards Jim, who I know has several decks that include banned <laughs> cards in them. Uh, but uh, biorhythm, like, anyone? Oh, God, <laughs> come on, come on! Please, please release biorhythm. Uh, but uh, like there. The, the consequences to doing that and breaking that social contract uh, aren't, aren't there. The only social the, the only uh, consequence to breaking the social contract in a game of commander is uh, people are probably not going to want to play with you again. Yep. right That's the only consequence and some people are blissfully ignorant to that and are fine with it right but but some people they they need to be told if you stomp there are going to be consequences. If you don't want to face those consequences, don't do it. And when they reap what they have sown in breaking that social contract, they're the ones that are out at the end of the day. Sure, you had a bad game, but that player is now going to be ostracized. And I think that the yeah. last thing that we want to do in a format like this is give people the feel bads, whether it be the stomper or the stompee. Uh, you, you need to yeah. establish that there are consequences to these things. and. Uh, ensure that everybody is in it for the same thing. Yep. So one of the last things I want to talk about, I want to put you on the spot here. Um, you're the commander mechanic. All right. I am. You, you can tune up or detune or make things fun for people. All right. I don't know if you've already done a video for this or done something for, on Patreon because I know you do like Patreon submitted deck lists to help people out. Mm -hmm. um, how would you make Sliver Overlord? fun enough to where it's just not the immediate arch enemy and be, and besides changelings too yeah like it still has to have slivers in it so it still has to have slivers in it 
Okay, because I was I was immediately going to say no slivers in it, mass wood nexus. Uh, but but I feel like that's kind of too easy. Yeah. I think. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but but it's still like uh, essentially you've got a hidden commander in the deck in like one piece that you need to pull out and do mm-hmm. something with, and that's that's one of my favorite things to do to tune down a deck is. Uh, your commander might be there, but your commander is in the cornerstone. You're going to have to grab something out of your deck in order for it to do what it does. Uh, and that's a great way to reassure people. Like, I have tutors in my deck, but the only thing that I'm going to tutor up is this one card. Yeah. Right? So yeah. The, the only thing that I'm going to do is grab a mask with Nexus so that I can make everything slivers. Or, you know, everything is sliver now. Uh, but if you're if you have slivers in there, I would say... Let people know that, uh, hey, I'm playing Sliver Overlord. There are slivers in here, but I'm not planning to do X, Y, Z with them. So I'm, I have slivers in here, but I'm never going to attack with them. Right? Okay. My goal with slivers is to do something different with slivers. Right? What Maybe could you fine. do differently besides the whole degenerate? Um, and I don't remember all the names of them where it's like, you know, you have a sliver when it enters, destroy target enchantment. Um, you know, there's a lot of like have fear, have you know, yeah. uh, um, God, not hexproof shroud, um, yep. you know, stuff like that. So, how do you do it differently? So, one one of my favorites in this instance is uh, I think it's called hibernating sliver. Okay. All, all slivers have defender, and when a sliver enters the battlefield, draw a card. Okay. So you build the deck around all of the slivers that have non-combat abilities. And maybe you make it like uh, like defender centric, where uh, you've got some cards in the ninety nine where creatures with defender can now attack, or you know uh, creatures deal damage equal to their toughness, and everything you have sliver wise buffs other creatures' toughness. So maybe it's like sliver overlord in the command zone, but it's a hidden Doran deck, and you're supposed to go grab Doran so that creatures with defender can attack and. Uh, or, or maybe it's a, a hidden Acades deck, and suddenly it's everything that's like all, all of your creatures with Defender draw you two cards on Enter the Battlefield now. So you're trying to assemble some combination of something that makes all of your slivers have Defender and draw you a card, and then something that has things with Defender can attack as though they didn't have Defender, and also draw you a card. That so sounds now fun. you're playing a sliver, and you're refilling your hand two cards for every sliver that comes into play. And you can still attack with them, but you're assuring people that like my slivers don't have double strike, they don't have haste, they don't have not flying. yet, not yet. Right. right. <laughs> and, yeah, if you want to throw in the odd thing in there, that's like, you know, the muscle slivers that give them plus one plus one and just buff yeah. them up, or you've got a uh, gale sliver that gives them all kindred flying. spirit. Is it kindred spirits or to to allow you to you play a sliver or you choose a creature type? Get a sliver, then you reveal the top card. If it's a sliver, you put it on the battlefield. Is that Kindred Spirits? Uh, it, it might be Kindred Discovery is the one. Or wherever, Kindred like, Discovery. Name, that, that's the blue enchantment wherever, when you name a creature type, whenever you cast or attack with a creature of the creature type, draw a card. No, I'm, I must be thinking of a different card then, because it's not that one, because that one was from, what, Oath of the Gatewatch or Ixalan or something. Uh, I th- think it's originally from a commander. Maybe. I can't uh, remember now. But uh, I, I, I would have to and look. And you're it having up. me go back to Scryfall because, as the commander <laughs> mechanic, I am always on Scryfall. I always have it up. Um, so Kindred Discovery is from uh, 2017. That's the blue enchantment. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking of that one. It's a, it's a different one. Um, Call to the Kindred out of Dark Ascension is a blue aura. That, that, that's the, the of your upkeep, you may look at the top five. That's the one I'm library. thinking of, yeah. Yeah, if you do, you may put a creature card that shares a creature type with the enchanted creature yep. from among them onto the battlefield. I loved that card in my Slivers deck when I used to have Slivers. Hey, uh, and as my friend uh, Steph, Quad Nines, would mm -hmm. say, combos with Masswood Nexus. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. So it's essentially every turn you get a free creature. Right? Yeah. Um, okay, no, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, not that I ever really want to plan on ever building Slivers again, but at least <laughs> I, I just wanted to put you on the spot. Like, like just like, yo, all right, how do you make it fun? And yeah, uh, and, and there's a lot of ways you could do it too. One one of the the best things about this format is we've got access to the legacy card pool here, so you oh, yeah. can do anything. And if you want to uh, go through the mental gymnastics of how do I turn something that's perceived as really strong into something that can be perceived as really fun, you can do that. You have the capability to do that. Uh, like you, you brought up one of my favorite cards, Biorhythm, uh, and it's it's on the ban list, and it's always been on the ban list. Nobody has been able to play with this card in Commander ever, and it it is one of my pet cards. I have a, a foil copy of it from when I was playing in Onslaught, and I love it, and I would love to play it in a deck. And the moment I get the okay to, I'm going to put it in a deck to be able to say. It's good, but it's not ban worthy. Like it's not a Leovold. It's not a yeah. home breacher. It's not a balance, right? Uh, like it is something that enables green to do something that green can't do, and that's like have a spell based win con. <laughs> uh, and, and I just want to change that stigma. And you can do that for any card in Commander. You can do that for any Commander itself, and it's just up to you and how you do that and how you become the ambassador for that as mm -hmm. well teach people that every atraxa deck doesn't need to be a boring pile to play against right yes every narset deck doesn't have to be narset turns it can be narset monks right as long as you're doing that and you're on the forefront you are an ambassador of what this format has the capability of be, to be and kudos to you doing god's work and that's why i love magic and i think that's a great way to end it off here right here um thank you again for coming on it was great um it's already been almost two hours um doing this and um how about you give a shout out um to like where people can find you and your content and all that good stuff and it'll be in the show notes as well too fantastic fantastic well since you stole my thunder i still need to say it i'm legally obligated <laughs> hey folks i'm chris and i'm your commander mechanic uh you can find me on youtube by searching commander mechanic uh where i do viewer submitted deck techs tune-ups, deck building advice, and podcasts with cool people. Uh, I do two videos a week, uh, one on Tuesdays and one on Fridays. Tuesdays are always tune-ups and always viewer submitted. So if you've got a deck that you want somebody to have a second set of eyes on, uh, because many people are shy to bring their decks to their playgroups, I am always welcome and open to give somebody some advice. And your video or your deck might get made into a video later as well. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at CMDR Mechanic, where I post my magic hot takes, uh, combos. Uh, I have been recognized by Wizards Play Design as uh, discovering combos that they did not during the nice. as well, nice. which is kind of like a feather in my hat as a brewer here. Dude, that's uh, awesome. And 
Oh, yeah, I, I, I love it. It's like I, I have <laughs> screenshotted that and I'm going to get it printed out and framed as like, hey, this is this is one of my achievements here. Dude, that's freaking uh, But the other, the other place that you can find me is that I write twice a month for Commander's Herald as well. Uh, every other Thursday, uh, including today, the 15th, I have a new article going up uh, about the mechanical deck building aspects of Commander and how you can influence your play experience before you ever sit down at a table to play a deck. It is about deck building towards your goal and including necessities in your deck, why they're necessities and how that changes from uh, deck to deck, use to use and person to person and play group to play group. Uh, it's called Mechanical Engineering. Please check it out. Uh, it's a ton of fun. I love doing that as well. It's awesome. Uh, sounds... Zuby, thank, thank you so much know. for having me on. This is I don't know, it's great. Great, it sounds very mechanically unique. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But um no, thank you again for coming on. Um, it's great. We got to get a game of Commander in and all that. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm trying to stream more, and especially with this whole shit with the flood, I'm gonna try to stream some more because it'd be like, hey, try to raise some money and all yeah. that stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll figure something out. And um, absolutely, let me let me know. I am happy to to join in, jam some games. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again, and um, hope you have a great night. All right. Thank you very much, Zuby. Hey everybody, and thank you all for listening and watching out there. I appreciate every single one of you. Um, just a reminder, um, we are now sponsored by Alter Sleeves. Hopefully before the end of the year, we are going to have our own uh, brand of Alter Sleeves. The artist I'm working on, or I'm working with, um, I, I, I'm working, trying to think of a design that I want to do, and then they'll, they'll probably be either Patreon exclusive or giveaways, something like that. I, I got to figure out the logistics of it. We are getting some Patreon exclusive tokens, so be sure to sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby. And, um, yeah, and also cardsphere.com best place to buy, trade, and sell your magic singles and sealed product, as my kitties just like why aren't you petting me right now? Um, so hope you all really enjoyed uh, having Chris on the show. I know I did. Hope you all really enjoyed listening and watching. And I hope you all have a great day. And you all are awesome. Thank you.